Welcome in, boys and girls, ladies and gents, halfway through the XFL inaugural season. And I promise we will keep going right till the last second. We will not get off the field early, not on this podcast. Let's welcome in my regular partner in crime, Michael. How are you, my friend? Not too bad, Sean. Thank you very much. Jolly good, mate. Another good weekend of football action that we've just witnessed. A bit of controversy, some questionable officiating. Probably talk about the Zebras for the first time on the podcast, I would suggest, this week. Um, and like I say, we're at the halfway stage. So things are really starting to shape up in terms of the playoff picture. Let's get straight into it then, mate. Let's review the games that were in week number five as we move into first down. First down. To start us off this week, mate, we said that this was going to be a difficult game for your Seattle Dragons, but they nearly pulled off the upset, mate. Uh, 32-23 victory in the end for the Roughnecks, but a really good game to get the weekend's action underway. Well, a rough start for the Roughnecks in this one. PJ Walker, who is Sean Brighter the most, had a poor opening couple of drives. He had a dropped interception in the first series, which was more of really a pass defended by his receiver, Cam Phillips, an underthrown ball, which Phillips had to come back and swat away from the defender. And Walker lost a fumble on the second drive. Uh, just really, as Houston struggled to shake off the rust in the beginning of this one. The lost turnover put the ball in the hands of BJ Daniels, whose impact on Seattle offense was evident, really, from the start. Daniels scored on a one-yard quarterback run to open the score, and what was an impressive day for the Dragons quarterback based on basically what the team has been dealing with so far. We know that Branton Silvers wasn't really doing much. They made the change. and BJ Daniels has come in and sort of given a bit of life to what was a very mundane offense for the first portion of the season. Daniels finished with 14 completed passes on 22 attempts. He did only have 114 yards. No thrown touchdowns or no interceptions, but he added 30 yards rushing on the ground and two touchdowns. A generally underwhelmed performance by league standards, but based on what Seattle have been dealing with so far, I think this will be a welcome sight for the future. Seattle actually managed to open up a 14-0 lead, but in typical roughneck fashion or form, should we say, Houston drew level within a couple of drives. And as has been typical with the Seattle receivers, nobody had a major game, uh, with the leading receiver being Austin Pro, who had three catches for... 56 yards and is continuing to follow really his own trend of having a good week and bad week so based on what we've seen from him so far this season I'm going to predict that he's going to have one catch for one yard this coming week based on how he's been doing all season the Dragons as we've mentioned all year Sean uh, they continue to split their run game production between their three backs Trey Williams had a touchdown this week but again it fell to Kenneth Farrow to lead the pack, he had 10 carries for 30 yards, but nothing longer than an eight-yard rush. So it shows there's no real explosion coming out of the backfield, nothing worth noting other than a, a touchdown 
from Williams, but we've mentioned it week in, week out. Something has to change if they're wanting to get any sort of high-level production from these backs. And I think we need to see uh, Faro being made the lead back in that offense. Finally, a more positive performance from Seattle, uh, what we've been waiting for all season, who posted their highest ever points total on the season, but still fell short against the Roughnecks team. This Roughnecks team, who is always finding ways to win. Um, as mentioned earlier, PJ Walker didn't get off to a great start, but recovered to post a final stat line of 27 on 38. A massive, and I meant to fact-check this before we start, but I'm pretty sure this is the league high, 351 passing yards in one game. He had three touchdowns and two interceptions. So regardless if it's the highest or not, it's a massive total to be putting up on offense. After a down week last week, Walker finally had his star man back. Cam Phillips was back in and amongst the action. He caught 10 passes for 122 yards and also had the two touchdowns. This whole offense was beautifully complimented all day. Uh, Sam Mobley caught six passes for 95 yards and Nick Holly grabbed four for 72 and bagged himself a touchdown on a blown play by the Seattle defense, leaving uh, Holly wide open to run straight up the middle of the field for the score. 50 yards he managed in that play, which has been sort of typical of what he's been managing to achieve these past couple of weeks. The running game, just keeping on base here with Houston, so both Butler and Williams go over 50 yards and Butler getting two touchdowns. So it's no surprise Houston keeps winning. Uh, stats like this are signs of an offense who can work effectively and efficiently to always put up points. And uh, Just as you mentioned uh, about the Zebras and the, the referees at the start, and I'm sure we'll touch more on it in the news. Unfortunately, this game ended uh, with a bit of controversy. Walker was nailing out the clock, but took an A with about two seconds remaining which would have given Seattle the ball back inside the 25-yard line with a chance to score being down nine points. The XFL did address this on Monday and issued a statement saying that there was a mistake made by the referees and the senior supervisor for Saturday's game has now been reassigned. What that means, I'm not entirely sure, but it shows that they're holding their hands up and admitting that they made a mistake. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate. It's, it was strange watching it, really. It's one of those quirks with the timing rules in the XFL that obviously the play clock, play clock even uh, does stop um, you know in the two minute warning period um, so obviously in terms of running out the clock it's not quite as simple and as straightforward as it is in the NFL um, and to be honest I'm just surprised Seattle didn't make more of it on the day itself I mean let's let's not go overboard here they still would have needed essentially a one play 22 yard touchdown to get within three points and then they would have obviously needed to have converted the three point attempt thereafter um, so there's no guarantee at all that Seattle would have, you know, obviously been able to accomplish that. But it wasn't a good look, was it? Let's be honest. Um, in a league that's really prided itself on that transparency within the officiating crews, the access to the replay booth, and it was a bit of a common thread through this weekend. I think you know, maybe pace of game has become an issue, um, and they don't want to keep sort of reviewing things. But I think fans will probably get more frustrated with poor officiating calls as opposed to the game taking a few minutes longer to make sure the, the correct you know decision is ultimately made. Um, it robbed us of potentially you know an exciting conclusion to the game. Um, a little bit naive, really, on the part of PJ Walker on that particular play. He should have really just sailed it high and wide and, and out of bounds, and that would have you know naturally sort of led to the the required couple of seconds coming off the clock. 
Um, you know, but ultimately, a really good performance in the end from Houston, as you say. Good to see Cam Phillips back um, amongst the targets and amongst the action after a down week for him the previous week. And they obviously continue to roll now 5-0. and um, I think, though, as you say, mate, encouraging signs for Seattle, hopefully something to build on. Um, they, they do need to find um, some resemblance, though, of a reliable receiving game. Like you say, Austin Prowl a little bit hit and miss. Um, you know, And ultimately, if they aren't going to get it done on the ground, they do obviously need to find some complementary weapons on the outside. Certainly the move to BJ Daniels appears to have been a smart one. Um, and hopefully that will prove fruitful in the coming weeks. Let's move on then, mate, to the second game on Saturday. And the mini-revival of the New York Guardians continues, doesn't it? A really impressive victory here on the road. Scoreboard reading 30 points to 12 at the full-time whistle. Um, so a really, really impressive day and not one that I think many people saw coming. We were a little bit concerned with the Renegades. Obviously, minus Landry Jones, as we alluded to, Philip Nelson doesn't really have the same ability to push the ball down the field. Um, and that, again, was pretty evident um, on Saturday. Um, you know, he attempted 49 passes. Um, obviously, the game... Um, you know, the situation of the game, if you like, with the Renegades trying to play catch-up would have had its impact on that. Um, but he only completed 28 of those. And those 28 completions only netted 210 yards. His lung on the day was a 32-yarder, um, which actually came on the first series. So, again, not enough downhill, um, sorry, downfield throwing there from the Renegades to open things up underneath. Byproduct of that, of course, is Donald Parham, who's obviously been probably the biggest beneficiary of Landry Jones at the quarterback position. He had a really quiet day by his standards and he picked up four receptions and just 34 yards on the day um, for the big six foot eight target who had been obviously on a bit of a tear up in the previous weeks. Running game also held in check. Cameron Artis Payne uh, only 25 yards off six carries and you know the rest of the guys didn't really get much of a look in. Lance Dunbar only two carries. Um, really the renegades essentially abandoning the run game in this one. That was pretty much there because of the scoreboard, as I say. But don't let 30 points to 12 deceive you. This was actually a really tight game, particularly at the half. It was only six apiece. It was a field goal game. And it really opened up in the third quarter where the Renegades put up 21 points um, in a few minutes spell. Um, Perez, with his longest pass of the day, um, an 80-yarder to Colby Pearson, um, big mistake here by the um, defence from the Renegades. The safety had an opportunity to sort of end this play around midfield. Took a poor angle. Um, obviously, therefore, um, what was going to be you know a relatively big play became an extremely big play uh, with Pearson going in from 80 yards. That had followed on from a Marquise Williams touchdown run. He came in for just that snap at the quarterback position and got it in from a yard away. Obviously, that's not Perez's game, but Marquise Williams has been pretty good in that regard. Um, and then ultimately, you would probably say the final nail in the coffin. And we got a big man touchdown, didn't we? Robert Mueller um, returned one thirty-three yards um, off a interception from Philip Nelson. Um, again, a pretty poor throw. Um, for New York, a bit of a bounce-back day for McKeel McKay. Um, he's been quiet recently. He came up with three catches only, but all three of them 
um, seemingly at important times and important conversions. Those three receptions covered 67 yards. Um, you know, so that was a nice little bounce back for him. Perez's day again, quite efficient, really. 16 of 30, doesn't jump off the sheet. 229 yards. Bear in mind that big 80-yard uh, is included in that. So, again, more game management than anything else, but, again, more than enough to get the job done on this occasion. Running game, pretty decent. Um, you know, mixed the carries around. Tim Cook, Darius Victor, Justin Stockton all got touches of the ball out of the backfield. Um, and to be fair, for a team that I sort of dubbed as probably the worst in the league a couple of weeks ago, that completes a nice, impressive two-game win streak for them. And all of a sudden, things are looking quite rosy. On the flip side, for the Renegades, where do you go from here? They're ridiculous um, stat that they're yet to win at home um, in a game and a league that seems to really favour home field advantage. They just can't seem to get that monkey off their back. Um, and we mentioned it last week, Michael, the Landry Jones injury. All eyes now on the injury report to see how long he's going to be out because this team just doesn't look the same without him, does it? Um, they really are desperate to get him back. Um, so two franchises heading in different directions, you'd say, after this weekend. Yeah, well, we talked about it when we were previewing last week. It was going to come down to which of the two backups were going to be able to cope better. And obviously, Perez has managed that better than what Philip Nelson has. Um, game management was was key, as you said. And it was just, the, whenever I looked at the box score for this one, I couldn't quite believe that Dallas were at home for this one. As you said, this this trend of losing at home is, is going to have to end soon or things are going to get quite bad. No, absolutely. Um, they do desperately need to get that monkey off their back. Right, mate, let's move on to Sunday and get into second down. Second down. Talk about a team that does enjoy home field advantage. Of course, I'm talking about the DC defenders. The beer snake was out in full force yet again, mate. That thing gets more impressive with each and every home game. Uh, and this was probably a bit of a statement win, wasn't it? Take us through it. Yeah, well, just as you mentioned there, the first thing I have in my notes is, shall we talk about the football or shall we talk about the beer snake? This was an incredible effort from both the players on the field and the fans in the stand. Uh, the defenders finally got back to winning ways after a two-game slump. Uh, they ground out a 15-6 win over the St. Louis Battlehawks in what was really a field goal fest at Audi Field. Bit of quarterback drama in this one. Uh, week one, Cardale Jones, MVP. Week two, MVP. Week three, bit of panic. Week four, something's really going wrong. Week five, Cardale Jones gets called to the bench after his second pass attempt was picked off. So a massive turnaround there for the defenders as to who's leading their offense now. Jones was replaced by Tyree Jackson, who came in and steadied the ship simply by performing game management duties. Jones, Benson saw DC commit entirely to the run in this game. Uh, the two quarterbacks who played had, 40, pardon me, including the two quarterbacks who played this game, DC had a total of 41 rushing attempts, which pulled in 229 yards. So you can see clearly Pep Hamilton came away from the passing game, decided to go all out on the rush. A clear strategy, which actually paid off in the end. It managed to keep the ball in possession. They weren't turning the ball over as much as they had been doing whenever they were throwing the ball. And as a result, finished with, uh, pardon me, as a result, Tyree Jackson finished with a very, very poor 
9 of 14 for 39 yards, but did throw a touchdown to the tight end, Kyrie Lee. But the run game bias just held up entirely for DC in this one. Semi Cobbs had the most of the receiving yards, catching just one pass for 27 yards, and the second most went to Lee, the tight end who I just mentioned had the touchdown. In a field goal game, I suppose it's only fair if I mention the kicker. Tyler Rosa, who made three or four kicks and a long of 52, is finally getting back to a bit of decent form after having a bad few weeks previously. And as for St. Louis, it was a bit of a disappointing day, really. Uh, a bit of a confusion day is what I would say. Um, putting up only six points. They were just failing to convert fourth downs, failing to convert when they needed to. They had big plays. They had chunk plays here and there, but they just weren't putting the points on the board. Jordan Tommy finished the day at 15-25, 174 yards, but he had no touchdowns or no picks. So it was it was quite weird to see to see this game play out and the way it did. When you're watching the highlights and you're watching it back, the chunk plays are going in favour of St. Louis, but it's ultimately DC who came out with a win. Yeah, it was a strange game, wasn't it? Um, like you say, the, the box score is just bizarre. Um, if you look through the box score, it just you would struggle to understand how on earth the, the DC defenders have actually won this game. Um, it really, really is bizarre. Um, however, like you say, um, you know, a commitment to the running game. Yeah, we've talked about that over the course of the last few weeks. Um, you know, the teams haven't necessarily made it an emphasis of their game plan, but Jarrell Presley you know, had himself a nice day in this one, didn't he? Went over 100 yards rushing, so congratulations to him. Um, as you say, for St. Louis, um, strange one, really. You Obviously, you know, a loss, so no gain away from that, but I think they'll take plenty of heart from, you know, the offensive production. You know, yes, as you say, Tamu would have liked to have got some um, touchdowns onto the box score, you know, but again, plenty of production from the run game. Jones and Michael between them combined for nearly 140 yards. Tamu another 30 on the ground himself. Um, you know, so there's no concerns there in terms of that level of production. Just a strange, strange game. Maybe the beer snake did have an effect. So just some stats for you, mate, on the beer snake. Apparently, it was made up of 1,237 cups. That is impressive. Considering the attendance is about, what, 16,000, <laughs> and this is obviously only in one section of the crowd, that's a fairly impressive attempt. Apparently, it means that there's over 20,000 fluid ounces of beer consumed. Uh, and, of course, the all-important thing, and what I loved, actually, when I saw it, was the fact that the league commissioner, Oliver Luck, was in attendance, and even he added a beer to the snake. So, uh, impressive, impressive performance. Right, mate, let's talk about another impressive performance, and let's move on to what, for me, even as a Tampa fan in defeat, is so far the game of the XFL season, and that was the late one. On Saturday, uh, on Sunday even, and it's no wonder we were confused on what time this game actually kicked off, because it was indeed on West Coast timing, made all the more confusing by the fact that the States put their clocks forward on the weekend and all sorts of confusion. So cut a long story short, it was early hours of Monday morning UK time, and we saw Tampa Bay burst out into a massive lead and I was thinking oh this is uh, looking all too familiar and too clever you know 17 nothing up 24 points to six up and thinking hmm 
We've said all along Tampa, plenty of offensive production. They're finally putting it all together. This is going to be really, really, you know, comfortable victory. And then all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, just before half time, um, you know, LA get it back to within one score. Uh, and then in the third quarter, actually get their noses well and truly in front, um, end up taking a 33-24 to 24 lead, which they never then gave up, um, ended up as a final score of 41-34. to 34. And we just talked about in the previous game how the box scores didn't look impressive. They certainly do in this one. Um, if you look at both teams, both quarterbacks, impressive on the day. Taylor Cornelius, who... Yeah, I think you can forget Aaron Murray now, can't you? Let's be honest, it's Cornelius' job. I think he's earned it. And, you know, again, another impressive performance with 300 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Josh Johnson, four touchdowns for him, uh, 288 yards. So really good production at the quarterback position. They both um, added some yardage on the ground as well. Um, Cornelius taking another one in for a touchdown on a designed RPO play, um, which he took in from a few yards away. Receiving-wise, Jalen Tolliver and Reese Horn and Dan Williams all over 85 yards receiving in terms of the Tampa Bay Vipers. And on the other side, it was Jordan Smallwood with 86 yards and Saeed Blacknell with 78 yards who led the way for the Wildcats. Really impressive game. Um, plenty of highlights, plenty of big plays. Um, you know, and two sides that, you know, ultimately this is, you know, the, the fifth game in a row now that Tampa Bay have outgained their opponent. Their record sits at 1-4. I have to laugh because I struggle to quite understand how on earth they sit at 1-4 and four with the statistics and the level of play that they've been able to produce. So I'm still possibly biased, but also convinced they are one of the better teams in the league but have now the joint worst record. Um, as for the Wildcats, obviously a huge, huge win. Um, they had a big win at home, didn't they, a couple of weeks ago. Then you felt all momentum was lost last week, so really important for them to bounce back. Really entertaining game. I know it was on in the early hours of the morning. Um, have you had a chance to catch up with it? If you haven't, I recommend that you do. Um, but certainly, you know, I'm sure you've caught one or two of the highlights, if nothing else. Yeah, I'm still waiting to get the full highlights. But as you said, just a few clips here and there. What I will say is it must be massively frustrating to not only just be a fan, but to be a member of the Vipers organisation. As you say, five straight weeks out gaining your opponents and to come away with only one victory in that span, it just must be heart-wrenching. So hopefully they can start turning yards into wins in the weeks going forward. Yeah, you certainly hope so. Uh, well, I certainly hope so. Again, my bias coming through there. Um, but certainly an entertaining game. Um, you, know, you, you know you've got a good high-scoring encounter when the over-under from the betting perspective is in the bag before half-time. Um, you know, so a really, really good game. Right, mate, that's the weekend that just was. Let's move into third down and a bit of news. Third down. Okay, we've touched on it a little bit already, but let's just go a little bit further, mate, with our conversation around the officiating this weekend. Um, So, obviously, we talked around the end of the game and the clock management situation in the Houston-Seattle game. Just again for context for everybody, and it's one of these rules that, you know, potentially slips under the radar, particularly when the score's out of hand at the end of the game. But in the XFL... 
in an attempt to make it competitive right to the end and allow teams the opportunity to complete a comeback victory, when you get to the two-minute stage of a game, the clock stops at the completion of every play. doesn't matter whether that's a running play. doesn't matter if the receiver goes out of bounds, etc., etc. If it's in the middle of the field and the play comes to an end, the game clock stops. It then only starts after five seconds of the play clock play I've said it again play clock has expired so what that essentially means is you can only really run off 20 seconds of game clock when you're taking a knee so whereas in the NFL you can obviously take three knees and essentially that's game over in the XFL you've got to continue to try and move the ball Houston didn't do that on the weekend they deliberately took knees and fair enough Um, but it ultimately meant there should have been a couple of seconds left um, and it should have given Seattle an opportunity to you know, go and, and have a shot at the end zone. I don't think we're going to get into too much of a debate, mate, as to what could have happened, like I say, when you consider that, um, you know, as you mentioned there, the Seattle offense has really struggled in terms of any sort of big plays from the receiving core. You know, you'd have imagined that if they had any chance, it was going to be one passing play into the end zone. The long pass on the day was a 28-yarder, um, you know, and everything else you know, was was really short, wasn't it? Let's be completely honest. Um, you know, so the, the chances of 22 yards in one play was slim. But I just want to ask your opinion, mate, just in terms of the way it was actually handled, because it was pretty obvious pretty quickly on the TV broadcast it was pretty obvious from at least one or two Seattle players who sort of indicated to the officials that they thought there was at least one second left. Why do you think that everybody did run off? And more importantly, why do you think that they just didn't get everybody back on the field? I'm not sure if it, if it was a case of the referees maybe realising what they've done too late and just saying, you know, we need to get out of here. You know, we sort of need to, before this thing escalates into too much of a dispute. but when it's being mentioned so blatantly on the broadcast and when it's obvious to so many people and the transparency that the league talks about, it's a bit surprising that no further action was taken. And, you know, we've seen it in the NFL, the likes of the Minnesota Miracle. The teams have went wild. Everyone's run off the field, but they were still made to come out and kick the extra point. So for something as trivial as that, in a playoff game, you would think in a regular season game where there's actual implications for both teams going forward with a couple of seconds left for an actual fourth quarter down to be played, some action would have been taken. So disappointing that it wasn't dealt with on the day, but quite promising to say that the XFL came out then and stated against it so soon after the event had happened. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, you've got to admit to your mistakes. And and like you say, the league have been pretty much, um, you know, on the ball when it comes to that. Another blown call, I don't know if you would have seen this one, mate, but I, I watched, certainly caught it. Um, the New York Guardians had, what was, in my opinion, a perfectly good touchdown. Um, it was a throw over the back shoulder. Um, Perez delivering, uh, delivering the ball. Um, is it Theo Redding? I believe it's Theo Redding. Um, apologies if I've got the pronunciation wrong on that one. I'm struggling with my words tonight, aren't I? I think it's Theo Redding. Um he seemingly, um, for my money, caught the ball. Um, you know, I don't think there was any problem. Again, the commentators 
in the booth, um, you know, backed up what, what, what my thoughts were and what my eyeballs saw. And again, you thought, well, surely the replay booth are just going to step in here and convert this back to a touchdown. But again, that didn't happen. Um, did you catch the play, mate, at all? Or am I throwing you under the bus there? Slightly under the bus. I haven't seen that one yet. All right. Well, I'll get your opinion when you do see it. But um, yeah, he, he, it's a good catch. It's you know, like I say, over the over the back shoulder. Um, obviously, again, XFL rule. You only need one foot in bounds. He certainly had one foot in bounds. You would argue he he probably dragged his second foot as well. Um, so certainly, for my money, that was a perfectly good touchdown. And I've called it out in the takeaways article this week. I just think the league needs to probably concentrate on getting the calls right. You know, obviously, speed is great, and that's all well and good. Um, you know, but ultimately, there needs to be a balance, doesn't there? You know, we've got the technology. Let's make sure we get the right calls made. Um, as you say, we, we're going to get down towards playoff football very shortly um you know playoff positions are going to become more and more important with each passing week um i want to see these calls made right it's been great so far through four weeks let's hope that we uh, can focus just on the players moving forward um let's talk mate a little bit of DraftKings. i think it's safe to say i exacted some revenge this weekend we are now tied at one apiece in our little head-to-head challenge Thank you very much, Cam Phillips. I stuck with you this week and you delivered big style, didn't you? 37.2 points for Cam Phillips. No surprise that he is the leading point scorer of the week. Um, In a week that had plenty of players delivering decent DraftKings performances um, at the quarterback position, no surprise that the big shootout in LA saw the two highest scoring QBs of the week with Josh Johnson, 32.4 points, and Taylor Cornelius, 31.5 points, respectively. Big difference in ownership, though. Taylor Cornelius only owned by 4.8% of all teams. I was in that bracket. Um, PJ Walker, the most owned quarterback. No surprise, I suppose, really, on paper. It looked like um, a fairly good matchup for him, didn't it? He didn't really disappoint either, did he? 27.5 points for him. If you drafted Cardell Jones, however, oh dear, minus one point. Um, but like you say, his star very much fading. Um, even from a DraftKings perspective, only 1.6% of all teams actually picked up Cardell Jones this week. Uh, running backs. It's getting difficult, isn't it, to find a productive running back when it comes to XFL DraftKings, unfortunately. Only three guys over 10 points this week. James Butler, Jarrell Presley and Jax Patrick. Um, everybody else under the 10-point barrier. Um, biggest disappointments were the two renegade running backs owned by over a quarter of teams and combined didn't register um, anything over 12 points between them. So a really disappointing day there. A um, couple of receivers just to call out. I've already mentioned Cam Phillips, the big one on the weekend. Reese Horn, 24 points. Colby Pearson, over 20 points. Uh, Colby Pearson in particular would have been a fairly cheap option. Dan Williams continues to produce um, another 14 points for him. And just in terms of some of the guys that probably let people down this weekend, we often mention Austin Prolin. It seems like we're on to him all the time. But the other guy in the Seattle offense that has been good some weeks in DraftKings, Keenan Reynolds, only 1.4 points for him. And just looking through the list, if there is anybody else that jumps out, uh, DeAndre Tompkins continues to disappoint a few weeks after a good game, uh, only 2.8 points for him. 
Um, Donald Parham as well mentioned it during the game review. Um, only 7.4 points for him uh, in a down week for the Renegades offence. Right, mate, let's talk some other news. So, yeah, there was just a bit of news coming out in regards to where the XFL have located their teams at the minute and sort of moving into next year. If they're going to want to stick with the same markets or potentially look into different markets, uh, not in terms of an expansion, but more so as a relocation. Uh, certain teams, you know, as we've mentioned many times, Sean, are we don't think they're in the best suited stadium. Uh, probably the prime example of that would be the New York Guardians who are, are playing out of MetLife at the minute. It's a massive stadium. It was designed for the NFL. It was designed for sellout concerts, not really the XFL. So a few articles and a few news outlets are sort of touting that perhaps the New York Rebels arena uh, could be a potential location next season for the Guardians to move into. You know, it's a smaller venue. It compacts everybody in and it gets away from that sort of ghost bowl look that we've been seeing in MetLife so far this season. Um, two other teams which are sort of having a look at potential relocations is the LA Wildcats and the Tampa Bay Vipers. So LA, they play at the Dignity Sports Health Park at the minute. There's talk of them moving to the Bank of California Stadium, which is another MLS stadium. So it seems to be the trend is following that moving from larger NFL stadiums and the smaller MLS stadiums will be accommodating of the average and small crowds that the XFL has drawn in an attempt to make the stadiums look more full, which in then is a more appealing product to try and advertise. There was also talk that LA might just move from LA altogether. Um, San Diego was mentioned after they lost the Chargers there, crying out for a franchise, and we've seen the success of that with the Battlehawks going to St. Louis and how much fans really want professional football. San Jose and San Francisco were thrown in that mix as well. So there's nothing going to be, you know, overly drastic. They're not going to move from one coast to another. It's it's all very West Coast orientated in terms of the LN news. But one of the more interesting ones uh, is probably in regards, Sean, to your Vipers. Currently based in Tampa, playing out of Raymond James Stadium. Not a bad fit, you know. They're averaging decent attendance, about 16,000, 17,000, maybe slightly lower than that. But it's just not filling to the same effect as it was or as it does in an NFL game. So potentially Orlando is an area that's being looked at to move them up a wee bit further uh, and brand them in a different way that, that it helps grow both them and the league. Uh, Oliver Luck, the commissioner, did say, you know, at the end of the season, we'll stack talk, stack stock, take stock, if I can get my words out and see what makes sense. So it's clear that he's thinking about it. It's been mentioned to him and in their meetings and whatever else takes place after the season that this is something that the league will consider, but definitely will be looking into to see if it's viable and makes sense for all the teams. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, there's a few people getting carried away. We talk of expansion and all of those kind of things. You know, yeah, it's been a great start for the league. Um, you know, but ultimately, it's there's still a ways to go before we can really call it an established product. I think you know you've only got to look at you know we mentioned the the, the beer snake that was just an element of the of the game on the weekend, but it just looks aesthetically different, doesn't it? It looks like it's a full stadium that people are playing in front of. 
and it does make a huge difference. I know there's some concerns for playoff games, but even if playoff games were sort of even based in a neutral stadium, um, you know, certainly the championship game, you know, potentially um, in a neutral venue. I think there's means and ways around it, but um, certainly will be sensible. Um, I'm a big fan of Orlando. Um, we've been lucky enough to holiday there several times, so fingers crossed they do move um, a team there because um, uh, that would create plenty of opportunities for folks that go across to Florida for holiday. So, you know, certainly would get a thumbs up from me. Right, mate. That's uh, a little bit of talk on news. I suppose the only thing, and we should probably mention it, we said we wouldn't really go into depth in terms of transactions, and I'm still not going to go into a great deal of depth. But just to make everybody aware, the XFL are allowing each of the teams to have a additional five players on their rosters from this week, and a number of players that were residing on Team 9, who is a team that we haven't mentioned at all, aren't they? Team 9 essentially a designated practice team, um, you know, who have been, uh, you know, doing that since week one. They've been there just practicing week in and week out. Um, That has essentially been gutted as a number of players have moved from Team 9 onto various different rosters um, as, you know, the expansion up to 57 players, still only 46 active on game day. But obviously, at the back end of the season, more niggling injuries, those type of things. Um, so plenty of transactions, as we said last week. Go and get yourself over to xfl.com and you will get all of the news in terms of where people have moved around to. Right, that's the news, buddy. Let's have a quick peek then into week six in fourth down. Fourth Okay, week number six. Unbelievable, mate. Already over halfway. Obviously, the games are going to start to take on even more meaning. And we have got another good slate of games, I would say, coming up this weekend. Kick us off, mate. Bit of intrigue in this one. Houston, obviously still undefeated, going against a New York team riding a bit of a hot streak. Yeah, the schedule makers seem to have locked out a wee bit on this one. You know, as you mentioned, the games are coming thick and fast. and they're exciting and interesting each week. As for this game, um, last week we both massively underestimated Seattle against Houston and, well, they nearly pulled it off, didn't they? So, New York in this one, it could be close. You know, Houston are opening up as six and a half point favourites. The over-under in the game is 47, so they're expecting, you know, a lot of points in this one. That That's a, that's a, that's a, a close line to be following if you're Houston who's been blowing teams out of the water. So, I can see New York staying close, but I'm not. I'm not sure. As I have done all season, I think I'll have to stick with Houston getting the win on this one. Yeah, I think you know we've just talked. I'm um, I'm probably more confident in Houston covering the six and a half than I am necessarily the over under. Um, I'm not overly convinced by this New York offense and Perez. If I'm honest. Um, Yes, a two-game win streak's a two-game win streak. I'm not going to take anything away from that. But when you look at the facts of the matter, he's completing you know 50% of his passes. Um, I'm still not overly convinced by the receiving core. Um, Houston, for me, absolutely should take care of business in this one. You would just think they've got far too much for them. But as you said, mate, we said that last week, didn't we? And set all random close. So who knows? Could be an interesting one to start the weekend off. Um, that's the 7 o'clock Saturday game. Saturday, 10pm, 
the St. Louis Battlehawks looking to get back to winning ways against Tampa. So Tampa back at home. Um, and we've just talked about it, haven't we, on the um, sort of review of the week that was. Tampa continued to churn out plenty of offensive production, but not turning that necessarily into wins. A defence that had gone five quarters without letting an opponent score then somehow manages to give up 41 points over three quarters. So a very, very frustrating and confusing team to get your head around when it comes to Tampa Bay. St. Louis Open, this one actually is three-point favourites, um, which I don't know if I'm surprised about that or not, to be honest. I think they're you know probably the better team on paper. Um, but like I say, Tampa certainly um, not beyond the realms of possibility. Over-under for this one, sitting at 42. Um, I would be quite tempted on the over with this one, to be honest. I think this could be... Not necessarily the same sort of shootout that we got this week in LA, but I could see it being potentially high scoring. Um, I don't want to say I could see Tampa covering the three points because I'll just be accused of being biased as usual. But um, I think it's got potentially the makings of a good game this one, mate. Where would if you were having a cheeky fifty pence, where would you be putting your money? Probably Tampa in this one. I think it might be a wee bit surprising. You know, St. Louis had that bit of a slide last week, uh, a disappointing loss. And as we've seen, teams in this league can sort of hit slumps quite quickly. Uh, we've seen DC do it, we've seen New York do it. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is St. Louis' purple patch and a much needed win for Tampa here. You know, this, they could be here to take advantage of this. Let's hope so, mate. Let's hope so. Um, Sunday, then, let's have a look at that. So. Just in terms of timing, first and foremost, we are nine o'clock again for the early of the two games on Sunday. And we have Dallas on the road. They've been better on the road, haven't they? But they go to DC. Um, I think the over-under on this one should be how many cups in the beer snake, to be honest. Can we get over 1,237? I would certainly be backing that. Um, but in terms of the betting for the match itself, over-under just sitting at 35 points. So... Not expecting a huge amount of offence in this one. Um, DC actually favoured by four and a half points. It's difficult to probably back against them at home. I'm not convinced by the offence. We talked about how ridiculously silly the box score looked. You would think they're going to have to do more through the air um, on a week-to-week basis than what they produced in the week just gone by. Dallas... Wouldn't be surprised necessarily if there wasn't necessarily a switch at the quarterback position. Philip Nelson didn't overly convince, did he, in his week one start and certainly didn't overly convince last week. Should have probably mentioned in the news as well. You mentioned him last week, mate, Hal Moon. Um, he's actually stepping down now as the offensive coordinator. Um, so a new man at the controls for the Renegades. So it'll be interesting to see if their game plan changes somewhat. Um, so I think this one potentially quite intriguing. Could be a low-scoring affair. I would probably take Dallas with a four-and-a-half-point start, mate. What do you think? Well, uh, this is a tough one. You see, if you're talking there about it falling to the to the passing game of DC, you're putting it on the shoulders of Tyree Jackson. Who This will be, I mean, we're both assuming it'll only be his first start after Cardell Jones was benched. You know, there's been no official announcement on that yet. So, if it falls to the passing game, you know, Dallas, Dallas have have room there to really suffocate DC and, and make them pay at home in, in, in an area of the game that they're not particularly strong at. But 
if if Dallas get going, if Cameron Artis paying, you know, if they get the yards going early, I think Dallas could run away with this one, yeah. Yeah, be one of the more intriguing games of the weekend, that one. I'm, I'm really struggling to get a read on it. Um, so be interesting to see. Uh, late one, mate, you finish us off for the week with the lightest of all of them. I am, of course, talking about Seattle and LA. It will be 7 o'clock Eastern, so midnight UK time on Sunday. Um, Seattle at home against an LA team fresh off 41 points in the previous week. How do you see this one going? Well, I think uh, Seattle will be glad to finally get home after a couple of weeks on the road. Uh, you know, they'll need that much-needed home support. But if they were watching anything last week, they'll know that this LA team is nothing to be messed about with and that they can definitely put points on the board. LA actually opened up as two-and-a-half-point favourites. So it sort of shows it's not a massive head start, but it's close enough that they're giving it to the, the visiting team on this one. The over-under is at 45 and a half, so. Based on what LA had done last week, and we can see now that with BJ Daniels and a quarterback, I would I would take the over on the forty-five and a half. Um, I'm hoping for a bit of a fun, exciting sort of explosive game in this one. I know I've been using that word explosive lots, but what we've seen from Daniels this past week and Johnson as well that there's a very good chance that this game could run up the points quite high. Yeah, it could be. Um, I think LA have obviously played different on the road. That's the only thing I would call out. You know, potentially it's a little bit trappy with this one. Um, as much as I could see it being quite high scoring, I could also see it being a bit of a field goal game as well. Um, and I think that's the beauty of this, isn't it? You know, we've talked through four games there and probably difficult to get a read on any of them. I think you know, the only one we can probably call with confidence is probably Houston. And even that's going against the New York side, fresh off the back of two big wins. I'm going to end this week, mate, with a bit of a rant, just because I feel like it. Why on earth have BT Sport decided that because of a few choice words on the sideline that they will just not broadcast all of the live XFL games? I've never heard such a ridiculous decision from a sports broadcaster in all my life, to be honest. Robbed of some action this weekend um, in terms of some of the earlier games. Um, really, really got to say it's been disappointing from BT's perspective. If you're trying to catch games this weekend, um, I think the schedule has been updated accordingly on the BT Sport app and on all the TV guides. But I think I'm right in saying that only the late game on Saturday is being shown. Um, so I think that's the Tampa and St. Louis game. If you want to catch the early game, it's not available via BT. And I believe I'm right in saying on Sunday, just flicking through the TV guide, it would appear that the two games on Sunday are currently scheduled to be on. Dallas and DC is on ESPN or BT Sport ESPN in the early window. And then it moves to BT Sport 1 for the late game. But the early Saturday game, Currently not scheduled for broadcast, which is a little disappointing. But I'm sure people have figured out ways to get around that and hopefully you can still get your feast of XFL action. Right, mate, refs are running in. Time to get out of here. It's the two-minute warning. That's the two-minute warning. 
So just a quick wrap-up for you. Um, mentioned it a couple of times during the podcast. The takeaways are up as it was Tuesday. Takeaway Tuesday. Get your written version of all things XFL for week number five. Written by yours truly. Um, in terms of other XFL content, Michael's game previews will be up before the action kicks off on Saturday. And as we said, get involved with DraftKings with us. A few more in the league this week, which was won by Adam himself. He narrowly picked me. I finished second in the actual league. Um, so get involved and play along all things XFL. Plenty of other coverage on the website as usual. Um, season just gone. Looking back, Sean's excellent article of 10 moments that define the season. Go and give that a read for NFL perspective. And plenty of mock drafts coming up as we head towards draft season. And of course, free agency starts next week. So keep your eyes and ears peeled. We will have you covered as always. But for another week, mate, that's it for the XFL podcast. So without further ado, it's goodbye from Michael. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. And of course, in the great words of Kevin Cadle, it's bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Don't forget, you can follow us on social media at Full 10 Yards and check out all our content over at Full10Yards.com. This has been the Full 10 Yards XFL podcast for the love of football.